I found Fido. Hey, I found Fido, you guys. <laughs> Fido? In the legend of Brandon the Builder, we are using giants to raise our new episode of Game of Thrones. <laughs> Hello. Awesome. awesome. Good one. Hello. 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 There's an echo. This is the last episode of the first month of 2015. We are glad that you're all with us. That's insane. Can I just say that? I have no idea where this month has gone. One twelfth of the way through the year. <sighs> Don't do it like that. Bring yeah, fractions doing into it. it. Doing it. But you know what it means? As I've said before, we're closer to season five. Mm, it draws near. It does draw near. Are you guys doing the HBO Go On Demand? Um, take advantage of that? I just, yes, sure. Yeah, I'd like I'm taking to. advantage of the HBO. I've never had HBO, so I'm excited. Yeah, I'm going to get rid of my cable because it's way too expensive and just get that. That'll be fine. It's funny because I think that with all of the on-demand services that I have, which is like Amazon Prime is ninety nine a year, mm-hmm. Netflix is like a hundred a year, um, and then you put in Hulu Plus and however much HBO Go is going to be, and it's mm-hmm. probably about the same as paying for cable TV. But I am only getting <laughs> the stuff that I want to deal with and none of the dumb shit that I never need to watch. Like the news. Who oh, needs that? God. That's what I have Twitter for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Twitter is faster than the news. They've confirmed. It's true. Mike is right. Season five is approaching and there's lots of exciting things in its approach. We know that the promotional cycle will probably be bigger and better than it's ever been. And that's 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 a fun idea because this is probably going to be the biggest season that there's ever been because we all know how successful and fun season four was. I assume they're going to be rocking a, an even bigger budget. Right, like ever an ever burgeoning budget as the years go by. Mm-hmm. And what I think I'm most excited about is this mystery special that HBO is airing in mid February. That's going to be, I think it's called a Day in the Life Ooh. of Game of Thrones, and it's going to be what? basically a half hour documentary that's covering the production of season five on on all the three different sets. So they've not done that before, and I think that that's probably some of the people like us that either are on a podcast or people like you that are listening to a podcast, you want to see that kind of stuff. You want to see the behind the scenes if, if it's possible. And uh, rather than it being just a bonus feature on some Blu-ray set that not all of us will get, it's going to be aired and it's going to be uh, ahead of time and like anticipation of the fifth season. So I'm really excited for that. I think it's going to be awesome. I didn't yeah. know that was a thing. That's very exciting. Yeah, it is exciting because last year they, they teased us a bit. With uh, something similar, but it wasn't a behind-the-scenes look. It was more of a Catch recap yeah. of what had happened in the previous season and before. And then they gave us just a little glimpse into season four at the right. end. And so this is more of a take a look at what's going on behind the scenes of Game of Thrones. And we're going to give you some information about season five. Hopefully uh, a deeper look than just the little direct messages I've been getting from the Raven, right? Uh, which let's face it, they need to up their game a little bit. I'm tired of seeing Arya in the, uh, in the same place. Mike is like, I want to see the first episode already. Why can't I have <laughs> yeah, that? Can't you DM that over? <laughs> uh, fun Raven. fact about a day in the life. It airs on my 11th birthday. So yeah, a little present to me. We could have a birthday party slash uh, screening. They planned that, Zach. I'm almost certain. <sighs> well, I'm flattered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to have a watch party on your birthday. You know, you I, know, do, that's, I do that's like those. Uh, I tend to like those clip shows, though, that they do show where they have like what happened the previous year. I do kind of want one of those as well, too. You because, need the refresher. Well, it's the refresher. I mean, I could just watch, you know, the 40 episodes or whatever. 
um you could which i plan to do but also the the clip shows tend to be uh informed by what's about to happen so like lost did the same thing before seasons it like pulled the most important things for you to remember right it, it like the most relevant details to the upcoming season yeah the most relevant details for the upcoming season or like the mm-hmm. first few episodes anyway and so that was useful um cuz like there would be less relevant th- or less seemingly relevant things that showed up in there but then they would be mm-hmm. big deals in the first couple of episodes and they were like always narrated by like Michael Emerson or one of the actors like Terry O'Quinn and stuff so i i i do like that the shows do that but it is another way to get like another hour of television out of like mostly already recorded stuff it's just the narrative that they prescribe kind of gives you a hint also it's kind of like more subtle as to what is about to happen in the new season mm-hmm. It'll be fun. I think for book readers too, it's going to be uh, quite interesting to watch that mm. uh, special because we know that things are going to be a little bit different and provide a little bit of insight into what to expect in season five outside of what we already know. Yeah, you know, I've been staying away from specifics, but I've uh, the news has managed to hit me that book five is or sorry, season five is is really a huge departure from the books in in many key, what would seem to be key areas. So I'm really excited to see as we go through the show, uh, kind of your and Kate's <laughs> reactions too, because it's just going to get as much as it has. We're been, just not going to show up to record. We're going to be so. A departure, as much as it's been a departure already, and you guys handle Mm -hmm. that really well, like this next season is just going to be like, they're just going to be two Mm -hmm. separate entities entirely. But Well, and and I think you and Zach have experienced this as we go through now the third book here, Mm -hmm. uh, the departures. Some are are much more uh, subtle. Some are pretty big. And I don't think we've gotten to many that are – have differed that significantly from the book or have had – such a huge impact in terms of you reading it. But I think we will get to that point, certainly. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, just with this uh, this John chapter uh, for today's reading that we did, um, you know, slightly different departure from Egret, um, but they are at this place where, you know, Bran and Hodor are just around the corner. Um, mm-hmm. And it's that just was in the, the show. And just like, oh, this is this is really cool that that near miss is not something that's manufactured just for the TV show. It's mm-hmm. actually happened. The other thing, too, is that and I, I don't recall and maybe you guys do how often we get this, but to be in almost the same situation with two different characters and getting it from two different perspectives. You know, the chapter last week, you mentioned Bran. Mm -hmm. We see everything that's going on from his perspective, but then we shift over to John and now we're getting everything from his perspective. Yeah, we find out who that man is. Yeah. (laughs) That random man who's just building a fire. man just happened along the wrong place at the wrong time. But I think it's rare that you get to see the same situation from two different perspectives very often in the series. I think that he treats it as... um... I, I would guess that George R. R. Martin would think that was gimmicky to show very, very directly like the mirror image version of what's happening in one chapter versus another. And it works really well in this one simply because like there's there's a lot of tension and you never know. Mm-hmm. There's in the established um in the in the chapter before it's never really established where or if the the wildlings um know if they if they can hear Hodor crying out in the tower but you find out that they can in this mm-hmm. chapter and they just think that it's ghosts um <laughs> and and so and you get to like they the all of the action I don't know it just it works because the the two groups are, are sort of um aware of each other but but not entirely certain what's going on 
So I like that he did it in this in these two chapters, but I like that he doesn't do it a whole lot in other places. Like it's used very, very sparingly. Yeah. I think that's why I felt such a strong payoff at the end yes, when yeah. when the direwolf came in and started ramshackling the place. I was just like, but wait, you get a, it's it, not he's kind of like a character meeting another character, sort of. The direwolf's yeah. got to be Summer, right? Yeah. 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 Or Nightmare. Unless Grey Wind just took off and. Made his way up to find John and then headed back to wherever Rob is, right? Because right. it's Grey Wind that he mistakes him for. Yeah, he calls him like a Grey Wind, <laughs> which is like a weird mistake to make. It's it's like uh, it's it's a weird it's a weird like this moment where he's like it's like a Grey Wind could could it be Rob's direwolf and it like oh, they kind of all look the same. Uh, it could be anybody. <laughs> Except for ghost. It could be anybody. He's direwolf. Probably Nymeria. Ghost. I'm gonna guess it's Nymeria. <laughs> We had the uh, red cinch of fear, though, that how he left the last uh, the last chapter with Bran. So I felt like that that just meant he was he warged into his wolf and was like, yeah. all right, well, I'm gonna inspect on my own. Right? And maybe right. he saw maybe he saw the uh, steer being like, all right, John, you have to kill this guy. Like, how many times does John need to prove himself? Is what I'm asking. It's like every time they think of something inconvenient for someone to do, they're like, John, prove that you're one of us. Yeah. And he's like, I've been well, with you right. for like seven weeks now. I mean, they are right, definitely, but <laughs> at the same time, it's like, he's got to get, get tired of always having to like apply for his job. Yeah, well, he's the, the problem is he's, I think That's they know that like he's, he's not, he may have proved himself in several other ways to most of them, but some of the smarter, more senior ones are like, yeah, there's no way. I'm sorry, but like yeah. Jon Snow is not one of us. And they're totally right. They <laughs> like, I, I can't even blame well. them. No. I, I even think Mance deep down doesn't believe Jon. Well, they're always like, so tell us about Castle Black. He's like, Castle Black? Well, where there's <laughs> what is people. Castle Black? Oh, right. like, it's hard to remember. Really... There's uh, like, ah, Black. There's it's... two towers. Oh, it's a castle. Uh, they have a gate, I think. Um, <laughs> east. Something and it's like okay, they, very cold. Yeah, there's there's a wall nearby. That's <laughs> where they're like, yeah, okay, we get it, we get it. And John. this is really the first time that two Starks, let's consider John a Stark still for now, uh, come so very close to each other and aren't able to connect. And we see that happen later on, obviously with Arya getting close to the Red Wedding, mm. uh, being so close, but not being able to connect with other members of the family. And and really, luckily. with the exception, well, yeah, in that case, very lucky, uh, of, of Bran and Rickon, who traveled together for a period of time in A Feast for Crows, or not A Feast for Crows, um, Clash of Kings. Really, this is the first time the f- two members of that family have have been close to each other yeah and it's compelling like they're so they're so this is this is something when i first read it uh that i feel like there should be a segment on this show called when we first read this (laughs) dot 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 um but when i first that's every show all of every show for me (laughs) (laughs) i was uh i was so frustrated by the fact that john and bran were this close Mm -hmm. and they were both in horrible danger Mm. and if they could only have known they could only have known. And John even knows. He remembers old Nan's stories, too. He was like, I don't think mm-hmm. we need to take a boat. I think we can just walk over there. And luckily, nobody takes him up on that. But he knows He knows that you're able to get over to that to that tower. Um, so, like, they came so close. If only lightning hadn't struck the lake, which was refraining, actually. Like, can you imagine walking across the, the little secret path and just, just 
lightning everywhere. It's crazy. It'd be fun. I think that's probably what kept them away from the tower, right? Yeah. The lightning was striking so close. Uh, imagine what would have happened if the tumult wouldn't have risen. The night couldn't have got boring. They could have been like, well, you know, the guy's dead. So let's see what's going on in that tower over there. Yeah, <laughs> let's go check out those let's, ghosts. Let's find, this this inn yeah. is caved in. Let's find we some, can, some actual shelter for ourselves here. Well, it was it was a good chapter. I felt like the growing relations between John and Egret were interesting to read. Uh, they were the show didn't quite go into the depths that it's gone into now. But George, I felt like felt a little delight at Mr. Martin. Felt a little delight in the uh, romanticizing between John and Egret, like the pushing him against a tree and kissing him and stuff. I was just like, yeah. oh, John's, John's having a little bit of lighthearted tomfoolery, and then yeah. um, she shoots him with an arrow. Well, yeah, supposedly yeah. he th- he thinks. <laughs> I think I like it is very uncertain whether it was her arrow or not because he can't tell the color of the feathers, but I like to think it was. Yeah, she seems she seems like the kind of the kind of dame who'd be like, "Fuck you! You are not riding away on that horse. I'm going to kill the horse out from under you." But she didn't shoot to kill. At least we're not meant to believe that. No, no. I I don't know. I I feel like the egret of the show was was actually more deadly in this particular Mm. scene. She she would have shot to kill. Like she she would she would have tried to kill John for. For betraying them, and in the show, it's it's post dialogue of of the actual like melee that takes place because she happens to catch up to him. That's right, yeah, uh, and and shoots him as he's riding away, and eventually arrives at Castle Black. So the show took some liberties there; they made sense, I think. Uh, and um, I, I think going back to the question before of of was it summer? Was it Greywind? Was it Nymeria? Who was the dire wolf there? I mean, in the show, they make it very clear. I, th- I think both Summer and Shaggy Dog are there mm. uh, to attack the the wildlings. Yeah, because Rickon with... and Bran haven't split up yet. And Orel gets killed in that scene. And yeah. He's already dead at this point. They make mention of that in in this chapter. Right. It's interesting though the wording uh, that is given for the John and Egret thing. It just says like her scent had become part of him. You know, because they're they're sleeping in such close proximity, they're they're not showering, uh, not showering. That too. <laughs> that too. Um, and there's a lot of talk about how a man should or should not smell, but uh, I, I think that um, it's it's very it's very intimate, and these two are very close. They become part of one another. So when he, you know, discovers that the arrow could have been from her, he just feels terrible. Even though the the skies have cleared and it's a bright sunny day, the next day as he's riding. Um, he, death. he feels like yeah. really hollow. Yeah. There, there's a couple of great lines from Egret in this chapter that I liked. One of them is when you were talking just now, Eric, about how a man should or should not smell. Yeah. <laughs> she, John's like, is it not cool to smell like flowers? And Egret's like, flowers are fine if you're a bee, but I like dick. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. the other one was a man can own a woman or a man can own a knife, but no man can own both. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not... 100% certain what that means, but it does sound Me really neither. Cool. I thought, Kate, I was going to turn to you and be like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> no, I have no idea. I, I Maybe maybe she's trying to say that in in this culture, owning a woman is like the only weapon you need because mm. she's going to she's gonna be super deadly. And so you don't really need your own knife. Um, 
but I don't, I, st- I don't understand. I'm sure, I'm sure one of our diligent readers will write in and explain it to us. But, mm-hmm. um, I spent, I spent a little while. It's also very early when in my time right now when I'm recording. Mm-hmm. So my brain oh, yeah. isn't mm-hmm. super on yet, but get some coffee. Yeah. I'm working on it. I just love I this, yeah. this threat before the Thens are all killed, <laughs> which is awesome. Uh, at least the ones that John is with. Um, before the Thens are all killed, there's this tension, as you mentioned, that comes from their eventual journey because John knows that these guys are eventually going to try and seize Castle Black. And there's this great quote here. <clears throat> uh, it says, The Thens were hardened warriors and more disciplined than the common run of wildling. No doubt that was why Mance had chosen them. The defenders of Castle Black would include... Or, yeah, the defenders of Castle Black would include blind Meister Aemon and his half-blind Steward Clytus, one-armed Donal Nye, drunken Septon Celador, <laughs> mm-hmm. deaf Dick Follard, three-finger Ha the Cook, an old Sir Wyman Scout, as well as Halder and Totem Pit Abbot. So, like, all, right. all the people at Castle Black who are going to meet these Thens are all, like, hobbled in some way. The one has one arm. Yeah, I mean, that's what happens when you compose your primary military force out of criminals yeah and then you also send like the most able-bodied of them off to die to these like mythical zombie creatures yep (laughs) that's just what happens when you do this not the best it's not the best executed plan there if only queen ali san were still around oh good queen beautiful dragon getting bored and flying to the north and just (laughs) that's your girl kate blessing the common didn't she have like six dragons six and one of them was uh you know, Silverwing. Probably. Yeah, they, they flew in with the host to Winterfell, just hanging out with the current <laughs> Crazy. Warden of the North. Just, you I know. think they named they named her good Queen Alisande because they didn't have the word cool yeah. in there. <laughs> she's much more of like, she's like cool Queen Alisande. She's riding up on Silverwing. They both have sunglasses on. <laughs> yeah. She only stayed I can for see like that. one night or whatever, but they painted the, the um, top of the tower gold for her. Yeah, because nothing cool ever happens in the gift. And they're like, yeah. "Wow!" They're like we just farm really a lot cool. here. <laughs> a lot of taxation without representation. <laughs> Speaking of that, um, can we talk a little bit about the John's American Revolution internal monologue, <laughs> and then we can trans sure. uh, transfer? What is it? Um, fuck it, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> um, John's uh, internal monologue. Yeah, no, no. But you brought up the taxation, um, and that made me think. Um, there was there was a moment early on in the chapter where John was talking about his dad, or at least who he believes to be his dad. Yeah, <laughs> Micah is not convinced. If you've seen our Facebook uh, recently, <laughs> <laughs> I guess before we get to that, um, you know, he he refers to himself as three things: bastard, oathbreaker, and turncloak. Mm. And I thought the th- the choice of the last two words were interesting because we know that. There are others uh, that are often referred to as Oathbreakers and Turncloaks in the series. And and I didn't immediately think of him breaking his vows to the Night's Watch. So I wondered you know, why he would associate those words with Bastard. Or or is it just a matter of he, he views himself obviously as a Bastard because of um, you know the story he knows about himself. But Oathbreaker and Turncloak were just – they stood out to me and I guess I just didn't make the association with the Night's Watch. But I wondered if there was anything else to it. Like was he associating himself with like Jamie and, and others that um, we've read about so far in the series? Well, put put yourself in John's situation where he was a member of the of the Watch of his own volition. He was like psyched to be there and he decided he was going to throw himself into this role and then – 
by the natural course of his duty there, he was asked by one of his like senior officers to betray the Night's Watch in the service of the Night's Watch. But in doing so, he's actually broken the vows that he made to the Night's Watch, and he's not loyal to the Wildlings either. So he's in this in this situation where he's his vows to the Night's Watch are broken, so he doesn't feel mm-hmm. like he belongs to them anymore. He feels like he screwed them over. The Wildlings, he's pretending that he has an oath to them, but he doesn't. You know, he's he's still just he's like playing this this double agent role, and he doesn't belong anywhere, which is how it's been for him his entire life. He's always been trapped between these worlds, and so you would grow up with a sense of just total worthlessness. And so I think it's not it's not just that he's condemning himself right now. It's it's this like resignation of like, oh, I'm a bastard. I've been trapped between these two worlds and I'm an oath breaker, which ha- traps me between two other worlds. I, I understand it. I understand where he's coming. But from. in reality, he may be none of those things. No, I think he's a really good dude. Like he's a, he's a super <laughs> solid guy. And yeah. and like he's just been he's been handed the shit end of the stick for a long time. Um, sure. So, and in the next chapter, in the previous, like, I feel like a lot of these chapters surrounding John's action here, um, we've been learning a lot about Rhaegar and Lyanna, like mm. their their whole, and that's of course like the pet theory is that he's the offspring of of Rhaegar and Lyanna, which is awesome. Um, so, I I feel like even knowing these little hints about his true lineage, and even though he's bastard born, he he probably has like really cool parents um and for for that to be some secret that we know also about what, how cool John is and how he doesn't deserve to be shitting all over himself here it just kind of makes it all the more painful to hear his internal monologue about this stuff yeah you know Kate I've heard from a good handful of our listeners uh, through various methods that um your musings on Lyanna Stark are some of their uh, favorite things ever in the show. So Really? Yeah. So if you would, just provide us just a tiny little sidebar, 15 seconds or so, <laughs> about how cool Lyanna Stark is, just to reach our, our cool quota for the day. I So... I think Lyanna Stark, I don't know, she's she's this she's this mythical character and just like I always say in this show you when you hear about the the characters who are no longer with us whether they're historical or they're recently dead, they are they're a caricature of who they were in real life. They're these little things. My favorite of course being that I always bring up is Sam the Slayer who a hundred years from now will only be remembered for his bravery and how like how fearless abs. he was and his rock hard abs, of course. <laughs> um, and you bounce a quarter off those things. Oh yeah. So Liana has, has the advantage of being dead in this series. And, and by being dead, she's, she's uh, the best things, either the best things or the worst things are remembered about you when you're dead as you like Aris Targaryen is a really good example of this. But um, Liana is remembered for being very beautiful and like super ferocious and having really cool brothers, just like the Stark family being being this wonderful. Robert was in love with Liana. Rhaegar was in love with Liana. Her brothers were were very protective of her and nobody can say enough nice things about her. Plus, I do I do have that pet theory that she was, you know, the one the one in in battle there at the at the tourney. Lord Wentz tourney. The night of the laughing tree. Yeah. And not to skip to the next chapter, uh, your point earlier about how much uh, mentioned there there is of of both Rhaegar and Lyanna uh, you know just in the, in the area of the book that we're in right now yeah mm-hmm. how cool that we get to go all the way to the east and hang out around Yunkai and hear references to the same things it's just mm-hmm. it's so so nice to to have it all tied together and it does nothing but sort of reinforce the the theory that John's parentage is mm-hmm. not of what we think yeah. 
yeah because he's seems... in the midst of all of these references it's just i don't know it just seems it makes sense yeah i i finally became convinced after reading the danny chapter next but here i mean it's just like john is trying to comfort himself he's like i wonder if my dad was as comfortable with my mom who he doesn't know who his dad really is and he doesn't know who his mom really is but he's just like man i hope that you know, he took all this comfort in this woman that I'm just like, I'm taking with a grip because then I can yeah. feel close to somebody. God damn it. It's like, I could feel yeah. close. I could feel a kinship with, you know, ab- about love because he is falling for a grit. But at the same time, you know, you talk about closeness with Egrit. He doesn't want to get close to the other wildlings, but he finds himself doing that. You know, learning yeah. about their history, learning about how they grew up, maybe the relationships they have in their life. And I think knowing who John is as a person, the more that those relationships develop, the harder it was going to become for him to do something um, in, along the lines of you know rebelling, fleeing, killing possibly because he feels – you know, a closeness to them, whether he likes it or not. Yeah, well, that 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 part felt really like realistic and solidified John as a really nice guy, or you know, just human. The fact that the more like it's easy to kill somebody if you don't know them and don't know anything about them and don't have mm-hmm. like an emotional connection with them. But if you start learning these things, like the little town where he came from and what his little sister did, you know, like to him all the time when he was a kid, <laughs> it's just like, hey, man, like. You, you, it's it's a lot. They become people then, and it's a lot harder to kill uh, someone you know that it is somebody you don't know. I have a real life parallel to one of these things John says about his companions. Shoot. He says that he didn't want to hear about the boil on Big Boil's arse. It's <laughs> like this guy named Big Boil who's apparently got a boil, and it's so big that it's now huge. they call him Big Boil. Um, Sorry, Kate. I shouldn't have talked about that before the show. It's cool. It's fine. Uh, but yes. <laughs> um, no, I have this. Um, I live in an apartment boil. complex and the I have this boil on my body. You guys. <laughs> um, Jeez. No, there's this there's this uh, woman when I first moved into my apartment. The woman who showed me the complex was just she was just a real piece of work character. And she worked here for probably three, three or four months until she got fired. But one of the times I went down, I went down to collect a package that was at the front desk. And I was like, how's your thing going? And she was like, well, I am kind of like uncomfortable because I have I had this giant boil on my butt and it, I just got it <laughs> lanced. So it's really painful. And I was like, <laughs> so like now I just mentioned this. I'm moving out of my apartment office. I've lived here for like two years, but I'm moving out. And the new apartment manager I mentioned to him, I was like, uh, "Yeah, I." He he brought it up. He was like, "Yeah, there's there's been some interesting people who've worked here." And he like made this meaningful eye contact with me. He was like, "We call it butt boil gate." Oh my <laughs> what? god! Yes, apparently oh she talked about her butt boil to like a bunch of people. Oh, so this this awesome. line this line in this chapter really hit home, hit home for me. It hit home for you. Thanks, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You couldn't kill her now, could you? In in combat, knowing that <laughs> no, she I now as I know about her her butt boil, she suffered such a uh, a lancing, such a, an important lancing. God, it was so horrifying. Jeez. I I, uh, I hope that none of you have to have that conversation with a stranger. I never will. I'll, I will. I will turn and flee. <laughs> Zach will turn. Flee. Yeah. <laughs> I will. I will. I will literally slay. All of those in my vicinity, the back of their calf with my Valyrian steel sword. I will hop on the nearest pony, steed, any of them, and I'll go. I will flee the spears and the arrows. And I, will I wish I had that kind of foresight. So, yeah. for those of you listening at home that wish to learn more about our wildling friends, here's a snippet from the book. It says, "He didn't want to know about Dell's girl or Bodger's mother, the place by the sea that Hink the Helm 
or Hank the Helm, or Hank the Helm came from. How Grig yearned to visit the Green Men on the Isle of Faces. A little reference there. Yeah, Green Men. Hello. And personal favorite, or the time a moose had chased Toefinger up a tree. <laughs> a moose. Those meese. They're dangerous. Dead mooses. The moosen. They're dangerous. Mm-hmm. I hear that moose are assholes. Apparently, even fiction. Totally. Moose are assholes. You ever seen Wild America? Attitude. JTT wrote on no. one of those. Devon Sawa? I think he did. Mm. I could be wrong. Those are those those 90s heartthrobs. JTT and Devon Sawa. Devon Sawa. Coming back. Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> that would be He's going to be recast cool. as Tommen. That would be awesome. You know, you never know. 30-year-old Tommen. <laughs> oh, so taxation real fast. I wanted to bring this back up um, just because it involves Lord Eddard Stark. Hmm. Um, and, you know, this was earlier on in the chapter when they were talking about Brandon's gift in the land, you know, south of the wall and, you know, protecting that, that land. And John says, his Lord father had once talked about raising new Lords and settling them in the abandoned hold fast as a shield against wildlings. The plan would have required the watch to yield back a large part of the gift, but his uncle Benjamin believed the Lord commander could be one around. So long as the new Lordlings paid taxes to Castle Black rather than Winterfell. It's a dream for spring, though, Lord Eddard had said. Mm-hmm. Even the promise of land will not lure men north with a winter coming on. And it was a nice throwback to Ned. But I also thought it was a title drop. Yeah, um, it was. Dream for spring or a dream of spring, whatever Ooh. they're calling it these days. Um, so even early on, um, Lord Eddard was dreaming of spring before this long winter um, was casting its shadow on on the land. But... Um, I always love the Ned throwbacks. I love yeah. that you love them. <laughs> I love that you love. Go on. That Michael loves it, like that commercial, right? Mercy. Which, which commercial is it? <laughs> Mercy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either, but it's, uh, it's not a very good commercial. If we can't remember it. Eddard rules. Continues continues to be a, a solid dude. Ramsey's rules. No, is it Ramsey's rules? No, no one ever seems to have any like unpleasant memories of Eddard Stark. Everybody, like, maybe this is that whole, like, dead guy thing that I was talking about earlier, but (laughs) it's like, you can't, you can't do any wrong. If you were relatively, like, if you are 60% good when you are alive, you are a hundred, you are an angel baby when you're, when you are dead. Um, Mm -hmm. But, like, there's never anybody who's like, Eddard Stark once, like, kneed me at the balls accidentally and never said sorry. (laughs) Like, there's never, that's not a memory that anybody has. In the next chapter, there's certainly a character who doesn't think very fondly of Ned in, in Jorah. We've heard him talk. Not ill of Ned, but just not very nicely of him. Yeah, but Jorah kind of deserved it. Like he did, he was <laughs> he poaching, and like yeah. he he kind of he was slaving and poaching, and he kind of sucked. Um, and so Ned was like, "Hey, you kind of suck, and I'm not going to kill you, but I am going to banish you." So wait, banish maybe, Ned. Maybe it shouldn't have sucked so much. Like I think I think that he got his just desserts. If it had been Stannis. Who had been Jorah's liege lord or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, then I think we would. Jorah wouldn't be alive. Jorah would not be alive, and so mm-hmm. I, I, I think that Jorah's just like, oh man, and Ned just doesn't understand me. He's just <laughs> after he's seeing you play me. the Telltale game, Kate. If you were his liege lord, I think he would also be dead. I so would. There's that. I would. Yeah. I've I played it through twice. By the way, I played it through once really sweet, and then once like a total jerk, and didn't it didn't make. It <laughs> what was more fun? Uh. I I personally I really like being a nice guy in those mm-hmm. in those games where you can like either be a jerk or not. Yeah. I, I always play through nice. I can't I can't be a dick because it just oh, feels no. so disingenuous. 
I think the first the first time I was ever exposed to something like this uh, was in uh, Donkey Kong Country Two when you could like either talk smack to King K. Rule or not. So <laughs> I definitely talk smack to his ass. Because you gotta I, talk smack. I went through a situation. lot of levels to get to him. All right, up on yeah. his tower, napping. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'm digressing. We should talk about Daenerys Stormborn. Yeah, let's talk about Daenerys Stormborn. She's a proud, dignified lady with a no pavilion. Yeah. She don't need no man, and she has a pavilion. <laughs> so. Your argument is invalid, those listening at home. She came up with some really incredible plans that we know from the show obviously ended in her favor. But I'd like to say that the mastery was much more evident here because we got to see not just her being there in a pavilion and being garbed and pillowed and and set up for her meetings, but we got to see her plan it and think about it and uh, sort of pitch the idea to her top advisors while being a, a sort of a teacher and uh, a good friend to Grey Worm. And I just thought, man, she's she's cleaning up. She's doing a good job. I like her catchphrase throughout this. It's just like, I am only a young girl. I do not understand the ways of war. <laughs> um, it's just, it's so funny. And it's such, it's such a, like a jerk thing to say to these guys. Cause she's clearly, she knows what she's talking about. For whatever reason, she's, she's wise way beyond her years. So the fact that she's like, I'm just a little girl and I, I don't know anything about war, but your decisions seem fucking stupid. Like she's, <laughs> she's, she's clearly like, I'm going to win. So it's just weird that you didn't have a better idea than me. She referenced the numbers twice, which I thought she was did. funny. She said like the same line. And yeah. I, I love that it was put into the book because it was just made very clear that she didn't have to variate her, her strategy at all. She was like, you have 500 guys. And I have something like 10,000 and even more useless people. So I just think that mathematically speaking, I might win. She's like, those odds don't seem She giggled after that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. <laughs> She's like this, the polite <laughs> little smile. You can totally see it on her face. She's like, those odds, maybe you can explain to me because I'm <laughs> so young and I don't know the ways of war, but it just seems like you're a little bit outnumbered. Is it wrong that when I was reading this chapter... And we got to meet Dara Naharis for the first time properly. <laughs> oh my God. It's a little bit different than you expected, me, right? Please let yeah. me read the description. Absolutely. Is it wrong that I really drastically hoped and, and wished, and, and maybe this can still happen. I don't know if it'll be a mod or its own development, but I would like to, to play the Super Smash Brothers version of Game of Thrones. Of Song of Ice and Fire. Oh. Could you imagine playing as Daenerys? Because right now she's selling me on her prowess. You know, you got like yeah. Dario and, and and Daenerys on a team playing like Stannis and Davos. Like that would be fun. I think th- I think that'd be a blast. This is a great so, idea. Someone get on that. Okay, here's the description of Dario Naharis. Now, if you if you are just a TV show watcher, or even if you've read the books, just picture TV Dario. He's swarthy. Which one? He looks the like the sexy. Oh, that's true. Which one? The second one. <laughs> the the first one I thought was goofy, but the second one. Oh. He's he's like um I thought the first one was hotter. No way. No way. <laughs> Eric. All right, you know what? Picture your favorite Dario. They're both hot. Okay. I'm going to picture Chris Evans cuz he would be my favorite Dario. Wow. Um anyway, no, just picture Dario and like how he he just looks he looks like a normal dude, all right? Now, here is the book description. His beard was cut into three prongs and dyed blue. The same color as his eyes and the curly hair that fell to his collar, all blue. Uh, His pointed mustachios were painted gold. (laughs) 
His clothes were all shades of yellow, a Mm -hmm. foam of Myrish lace. The color of butter spilled from his collar and cuffs. His doublet was sewn with brass medallions in the shape of dandelions. (laughs) And ornamental goldwork crawled up his high leather boots to his thighs. Gloves of soft yellow suede were tucked into a belt of gilded rings and his fingernails were enameled blue which i'm into like like that gel that gel finish yeah like shellac Mm, it's Mm, good for battle it would it would stay on for like weeks through a bunch of battles that's what i saw on the show what did you guys see (laughs) (laughs) dario they did this like tv magic dario's whoever you want him to be (laughs) (laughs) dario (laughs) at least the first dario was more like fabio (laughs) <laughs> he was. He was. He had a strange face, and I didn't trust it. But the second Dario, I was just like, mm-hmm, I want to see. I want to see you get naked. And naked he did. But anyway, they they made the right choice in the show because to have like all of these like grungy uh, across the, the this this whole set of people who look relatively normal, and then this motherfucker in the middle of it. Can you imagine? You'd be like, is he like? A glorious like wins- wizard minstrel who's just right. like all all these crazy colors and he's like jingling and his tri pointed beard dyed blue and he's like hello and and then and then Danny has to be like Ooh, oh he's so, he's so, <laughs> I remember him he's so okay. handsome it's noted that he's flamboyant even for a Russian <laughs> right yeah. and she's like into it. I don't know why. Well, she's really she's into, it. into it. I'll tell you why she's into it. Because she's always looking at Jorah. He's brawny or he's <laughs> bald or he's got that stubble. And I think that that goes against what we were talking about earlier, Kate, our argument about facial hair in men. Right now, she's she's craving she's craving a little bit of that smooth suede. So I think it goes both ways, honestly. I think it might be this whole... It it feels like this is just a theory. I have no I have no evidence to back this up. You're a girl. It's okay. Your opinion counts. This, it's this idea of like a pretty a pretty boy versus all of these like these huge warriors who are all sweaty and hairy, and then suddenly in in trounces like prancing around her this like this pretty boy who like takes care of himself and he's he's dying his hair, he's dying his mustache, he's painting his nails, and. Uh, it's it's the classic like you know pretty boy versus like the the solid guy who's just like super loyal to you it's this weird it's this it feels like a weird frustration that George R. R. Martin was trying to air mm-hmm. out. Like he's just like, ah, oh, goddamn pretty boys. And George just gets told by her later on in the chapter too. Yeah. yeah. And so and this is like I said, I have no theories to back this up. But that seems like what it is to me. It's just like, oh, Danny's supposed to be the most beautiful woman in the world, and she falls for this super goofy guy. And Jorah's like, man, but I was there. I was here first. <laughs> and what I do like is that in this chapter, Danny stands up for herself quite a bit. She's like, yo, listen, just because you don't want me to get it on with anybody but you doesn't mean that you get to push everybody else away so that I eventually have to get it on with you. Like, fuck off. I'm your queen. Do your job. Yeah, I, I thought I that like was that such speech. a sound quote. It says, yeah. you have been a better friend to me than any I have known, a better brother than Viserys ever was. You are the first of my queen's guard, the commander of my army, my most valued counselor, my good right hand. I honor and respect and cherish you, but I do not desire you, Jor Mormont, and I'm weary of you trying to push every other man in the world away from me, so I must needs rely on you and you alone. It will not serve, and it will not make me love you any better. Jor, that is not a good strategy. Friend zoned. Okay. You know, like, okay. you need to have Micah? a little bit more no. resoluteness there's in no... yourself. Ugh, there's no such thing as a friend zone, for one thing. <laughs> 
But Jorah is also old. He's not attractive to her. And he's spying on her and, like, reporting all of her actions back, which she doesn't know yet. But he sucks. He sucks. Like, we're, he's not, he's not friend zoned. He sucks. And she just doesn't want him. That's just all there is to it. Sorry. That's fine. It's just, just, that's just the lay of the land. I I mean, he's not going after Eerie or Jaqui. They're not mad about it. This is a pet peeve of mine, the idea of the friend zone. So even if it's said jokingly, I'm just going to squash it like a bug. It was a joke. Squashing it like a bug. Squash it. Okay, but But, but Dario, back to Dario real quick. Dario. He does what he does out of (laughs) love of life. There's this great – he proclaims to her later when he returns – that uh, what is what's the quote here? That he um he kills every day. He eats. He, a day is not compl- a day mm-hmm. is not lived until I gotta get this quote. I count no day as lived unless I have loved a woman, slain a foeman, and eaten a fine meal. And the days that I have lived are as numberless as the stars in the sky. I think it's great. Oh man, he's damn. He's, he's awesome. His arachs, which I think is how you say that. Whoa. He's got one rock and he's got I forget what the other one it's a mirish blade, I believe. Yeah, but they it's both like, uh, they both yeah. have naked women on the hilts. On the hilts <laughs> just like carved into the blade and he like does what he does for love of life. And it's just like He's a baller. He's, he's way baller. Like he's a pretty boy, but he can get shit done. I mean, look right. at what he did to those generals. And you know that they just don't give him shit about his appearance. I mean, not anymore because they're dead, but they probably didn't just because he probably does kill pretty often. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He sounds gross to me personally. A little bit, like yeah. the naked ladies on his swords, I'd be like, Ugh, no, no, sir. Right. But Danny's way into it. You prefer so. naked men on the swords, Kate? No, I just don't is. think there should be naked people on swords. Right. It's just right. me. It's just a maybe it like reminder. strikes a little you know. fear in the heart of his foes, or or something in the heart of his foes. Yeah, maybe could be. It's like a really red viper thing to me to do <laughs> like to well he got a mention in this chapter too yeah he did a little bit later on but you guys can hold me in check here um but the show did things a little bit differently uh and they made sense just from a timing standpoint but we have the the storm crows mm-hmm. of which uh dario is a part and um of course in the show it's it's dario it's the titan's bastard and then also um one other person who's escaping me right now but in essence what they did was they brought in all three factions at the same time as opposed to bringing them in separately and so there was in in the show dario ends up killing um the titan's bastard as well as somebody else right mm-hmm. am, am i getting that confused i i, I just I, I i seem to remember the show doing it a little bit differently than what we actually read here in the book they definitely compacted it, and I I noticed it when I was reading as well because uh, you know the Stormcrows obviously came, and 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 then the Second Sons were a completely different crew, and obviously their interactions were much different. I felt like it was such a congenial meeting with the Second Sons and getting you know wished away with oh you want some wine like oh I'll have some wine. She's like I'll give you some wine if you drink to my health and success. He's like. You give us a couple barrels, we'll drink to whatever you want. And she's like, okay, I can do that. I got plenty of them because I stole it from the last city I sacked. And he's like, well, in that case, I'll take a wagon. There's quite a few of us. And she's like, all right, I'll give you a wagon. And so it's just, it was a lot different in that sense than it was in the show because the hostility that that man had and the way he was like being really sexually mm-hmm. inappropriate regarding herself and the people around her that that was taken pretty poorly it was taken poorly here in the chapter when strong was like please let me kill him mm-hmm. but um it, it ended well in the book versus kind of just leaving us at just a really snotty place with that with that asshole so right it was interesting and, and in the show 
we know that um, Dario, you know, takes the head of sort of these other two factions. But uh, in the book, clearly the Titans bastard, it's made mention of later on in the chapter, gets away. Yeah. Uh, and so what could be the potential implications of somebody like that who we know to be dangerous? Um, it's mentioned, in fact, I believe it may have been by um, Barristan initially and then confirmed by Jorah that you know, he's very dangerous man known to be even more so um, than the brave companions. So uh, to have somebody like that out there now um, who has been duped for lack of a better term and, and kudos to Danny for, you know, thinking that they could get drunk off of the wine that she's providing them with um, and not even be in position should an attack occur. But having somebody like that out there um, is probably not good for Danny moving forward. Mm. Yeah. Or anyone. Right. It's another enemy. Check another enemy um, on the list for her because clearly she's making some and it's it's made clear by the representatives from Yunkai that show up. Um, and, and even in the mentions of, of Astapor, uh, earlier on in the chapter, uh, it says that Danny had left Astapor in the hands of a council of former slaves led by a healer, a scholar, and a priest. Wise men all she thought and just, yet even so tens of thousands per- preferred to follow her to Yunkai rather than remain behind in Astapor. I gave them a city and most of them were too frightened to take it. And you know, you, you get that feeling throughout the chapter, um, more burden than benefit. These people are becoming um, on her. She's freeing them, but they have no place to go. And they're too afraid to stay in their own city for fear that you know, the, the old regime will find a way to rise back right. and and reclaim its power. And so is she really helping these people? Well, when she leaves Astapor with a, uh, a with a doctor and a priest and a scholar, it's just like, okay, how is that supposed to be cool enough? Like to be, how's that? She just leaves it go. I mean, there is this pressure, right? She says she has the best warriors in the world and the worst are all in her company, but she won't let them go. And she's just, she keeps gaining all these people. She knows how to overwhelm in battle, but she doesn't really know how to lead or how to be a good mother to them. Not, Not yet. yet. Not yet. <laughs> Jinx. Good. I'll take a break. No one's but, um, but these guys, this uh, this Grazdin, Mo uh, Eraz, who rides in, rides in on this white camel. Which is amazing. They're pretty harsh to her. Like She does say, like, I'm a little girl all this time, but... They about say as much as like when this battle is over and won by Yunkai that they will not only rape her but like make her a slave as well. Um, mm-hmm. There's this line that says, uh, "We can make a slave of you as well. Do not doubt it. There are pleasure houses in Lise and Tirash where men would pay handsomely to bed the last Targaryen." Like this is a meeting of the generals, and he's talking to her like, "Yeah, you're, we're going to turn you into slave, and people are going to pay handsomely to." Uh, to do things with you. And and she's just like, oh, I'm glad you know who I am, the last Targaryen. That's right. Yeah, well, she's used to this like yeah. sexual nonsense at this point. Mm-hmm. Kate, I wanted to um, to bring this up. And you know, Danny has a history of not being treated very well, particularly, well, we've only seen her in the East. And I wonder if she would be sub- uh, subjected to similar treatment back in Westeros. Um I don't know if it's a cultural thing that uh, George is trying to drive home here. Um, you know, a lot of the cultures that he writes into the story, a lot of the people that he writes into the story are based in history. Mm-hmm. So I, I just wonder if it, if it's 
is it specifically the treatment of women? Um, you know, if Danny was a man, would the approach have been different? Would he have been treated differently? Or is it specifically because Danny is a woman that she's treated this way by not just the people we read about in this chapter, but she's been treated that way pretty much for the entire series? Well, certainly you wouldn't have these guys threatening to sell a man to a whorehouse or to say like, oh, if I if I think if I take your wine, will you kiss me later? Like that, I do think that there's there's um, not only ill treatment that she's getting that she wouldn't get, but also an advantage that she's she's pressing that she wouldn't have had. Um, mm-hmm. She gets she gets these these moments of reprieve by playing the the naive little girl sometimes, or even just like the burgeoning sexuality of a young attractive woman. But I think that the only equivalent I can think of to her in Westeros would be Cersei. Cersei is certainly not being spoken to like this because she is the queen and she has the Lannister family behind her and, and her, her seat. But Cersei uses her her sexuality and, and her femininity to her advantage all of the time. I think even you could say Marjorie does the same. Um, the difference, the difference, I think, is that Daenerys would be probably in the possession of some man who would be marrying her off for political power, and so it's it's very different that the fact that she's in charge of her own campaign here, and she is she's the highest point of power in this particular little government that she's establishing. It's very it's a very tricky call to know what that would be like in Westeros because it, I don't think it exists. Even like Olena, the Queen of Thorns, I, I think that Mace still has all the power in the Tyrell family. And though she's like this wonderful old matriarch, she still has to play the game a little bit as far as like being the gentlewoman and deferring to what the men think, even though she thinks they're stupid. Um, so yeah, the, the fact that Danny is this, this, this sole woman, this young woman in this place of power is unusual. Yeah, Danny doesn't have the same luxury that Cersei does to think so small. All Cersei uses her, you know, power for is so that she can bed her own cousins and things, you know, while she waits for Jamie to return. Danny has to, meanwhile, take over city after city of Slaver's Bay and amass this army that's going to be successful at not only, you know, conquering all these lands, but then sailing across the known world to conquer the other lands. Like, Cersei just, like, they both do it well, but... Danny has so much further to go. I think that that Cersei saying that Cersei is only using her her sexuality and her power so that she can have sex with her cousins is <laughs> probably yeah. I think that's that's not giving her nearly enough credit. I think that she does it to solidify power in a lot of ways to to curry favor. Um, it seems like she's she's probably at least flirted with the Kettleblacks, um, whether or not she slept with them or not. But she's she's doing these things because. Um, these are, this is how she, she gets spies. This is how she gets information. This is how she can get people to do things for her. It's like, she has to use that, that power. And, and I, I actually don't think that she, she sleeps with anybody for pleasure except Jamie. I think that anybody that she's fooling around with is because she's getting something out of them. That's, that's a power trade. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't necessarily mean for it to turn to a conversation about, you know, how progressive, you know, let's say Westeros is versus uh, 
Essos because oh. I think that you know there there are definitely issues in Westeros as well. But I but I think if you kind of compare them, and and we could spend an entire show talking about this. As I said, like there's there's so much of this series that's rooted in you know different histories that you know George has spoken about in in, in interviews. But I, I just find the treatment specifically of of Danny in, in certain situations to be pretty abhorrent. It's really shocking. Mm-hmm. She handles it very well. We got to see it from a good handful of perspectives. And I think that it's very cool that one character has allowed us to see so much of the different sorts of cultures in Westeros. And I think this is what you're getting at, Mike. And we, we had the treatment of, of her, of her domineering older brother first, and also uh, the kind of, of lavish gifts and sort of the lifestyle she was she was given because of who she was by another wealthy person uh, being Illyrio. And then we got to see her not be mistreated because she was a woman. We got to see her, in essence, glorified because she essentially married the call of a Mongol horde and was you know risen to the to the level of the queen. So she wasn't disrespected because of her gender in that situation. I mean, she was probably not held at as high of regard as the man, but it certainly is different than how she's being treated by these other cultures. And we got to kind of see the the intermediate level with Karth. It was very much a uh, center of trade. It was very much a, a multicultural place rather than the, the last two Yonkai and Astapor that we're at that are very... Uh, you know, and it's told that they're they're deep rooted. They're they're you know they kind of remind me of like the uh, the Muslim Empire or sort of like the the Chinese dynasties as well, mm-hmm. where they have very you know old views on that, and they have no problem with standing in front of her um, with her army and with all that she's done and um, being very flippant about her gender and uh, and Karth. That still happened, but it happened much less because, like I said, the the way that their city was built and how it was kind of a a council and it was based with so many different kinds of people. Mm-hmm. So we're getting the essence of the old world essentially with her treatment and from the last two places um, being a young young guy in Astapor. And obviously it's not going to hold up because she uh, has a mentality from every, you know, she's, she's a, she's got lots of different influences and because of where she's been and, and what she's learned, she's better equipped to handle things like this. She's seen it before and it's, it's old news to her. I think it's also, it's been something that she's, um, unfortunately been trained for her whole life. She talks about in this chapter, there's a little passage about uh, her and Viserys when they were younger, um, that Vis- Viserys told her that it was her fault that she was born too late and that as a result of, of not having been born in time, Rhaegar, her brother, could not marry her and so had to marry Aaliyah. Princess Aaliyah from Dorne, and that um, everything would have been different if Danny had only been just born a little earlier, so Rhaegar could have married her, and then none of this crap would have happened, and the Targaryens wouldn't have looked like Viserys blames, literally just blames Daenerys for being born too late. Like that starts, it starts at her birth. It's like you could have done this powerful thing, but now you say, and and then she she retorts, well maybe it's your fault for not being born a girl. Like it's, <laughs> it's ex- exactly the same kind of thing. Like you were powerless to be born the gender that you are. I was powerless to be born at the time that I was. But for saying that, for implying that Viserys should have been born a girl, he beats the shit out of her. Yeah. And so like, even at like, this is what she's just been prepared for is that um, she's going to be mocked for being female and that her sexuality, like Viserys is always told is like twisting her nipples and everything. So I think that, like her sexuality yeah. has been something she's been mocked for and provoked about 
her entire life with this crazy, crazy brother of hers. So actually, she's kind of been trained great for this stuff. <laughs> she's yeah. not a big deal. Well, everyone you know? who does it, everyone who does it, it dies a horrible, painful death. So that is yes. very rewarding to read. Yes. And that's always when someone starts to talk to her about like sleeping with her or selling her and as a whore it's just this switch you can see it flip in her head she's like i'm gonna play along with this but mm-hmm. this person's going to die yep mm. and i like that i like that she's she didn't she didn't take no shit so viserys and and king joffrey i feel like they would get along rather well oh man Either they'd <laughs> get along think? or they'd kill each other they'd be like oh you you hate that too They're like yeah i hate that too it's like well <laughs> joffrey's like let me show you my crossbow like, yeah, this thing it, it you can reload it quickly it's uh it's pretty and Viserys is like how do I get one of those <laughs> and, and they share the common bond of both being born of incest yeah they're like the uh, the, the, the the crazy output unfortunately yeah. for them you know it's just like if, if it really is ingrained in their selves for shame you know you can't help us to be like I wish you weren't that way but you are Dario beheads the other members of the storm crows and somehow some way through his means charm let's say <laughs> this endears him to Daenerys who says okay sweet now we have the storm crows the yeah, second no. sons are probably getting drunk and the young Kai, they 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 think they got 3 days to get back to me let's attack tonight yeah they attack they do. they do they do much to Jorah's dismay which i mean i i, I suppose that he he had all of the right to be a little leery of the situation but in in Danny's defense he Dario did bring two of the heads of the people that would would have been the only opposition, and the Stormcrows joining them was a nice strategic advantage. And they managed to come out of this with only a dozen of their own killed. So it's amazing, not bad, pretty pretty well done. They mm-hmm. took an entire city down. <laughs> the young Kai. We also got that internal monologue from Danny about uh, betrayal, saying that she would be betrayed twice more. This is when Jorah was bringing up. Uh, that Dario really couldn't be trusted, and and Danny respond by saying, "Well, really, who can at this point?" Yeah, all loyalties are uncertain in such times as these. So betrayal, right? Once for gold and once for love. Those are the two that remain in her mind. One for blood, one for one for gold, and one for love. You're a genius, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> You're a genius. Thank you. Let's go to owns, shall we? Yeah, I think I think we're I think we're there. Well, I actually have a uh, a double own. But don't do too many. Double own Tundra. Double own. Uh, double own seven to this chapter for the man and his horse. Firstly, this man, okay, knew he was going to die, and he was silent. He remained silent the entire time, even when John was called in. All this stuff. John's looking at the man, hoping that he says something, like yeah. you know, pleads for mercy or anything. This man remains stone cold silent. So owned to him, but his horse also for not yeah. like for totally adopting John as its yeah. rider and not tripping as it could have. John was like, man, if this horse trips, I'm fucked. I'm never getting out of here. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't. And so this mare, the man and his mare, get my own. Nicely done. I, I agree with that. I back that on up 100%. That's also my Thank own. Thank you. Thank you. That guy, he's very mysterious to me. The fact that like he doesn't beg for his life. He says he's an old man and he's. He's 50 or 60. He's lived longer than most, which makes makes him very curious by his own very nature. Like, what was he doing? Why was he out by himself? Where was he coming from? Why yeah. is he so damn old? And the fact Why that he, he just he doesn't he doesn't say anything. He just looks at John like what? Because he's he's a symbol, right? He's yeah. just he's a catalyst for the action. But yeah. 
um, he's still he's still very interesting. So yeah, he gets my own too. I feel like John sort of deserves an own. I mean, he definitely deserves an own for his just his re- reactions mm. immediately going to combat and immediately springing upon the horse in a way that he was even surprised that he could, that he did later on. And I feel like that has some sort of implication that I don't quite understand yet. And it may have something to do with his lineage. It may have something to do with 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 just his uh, skill and and battle in the moment. But either way, that that was pretty cool. That is not my own. However, I would like to give my own to John <laughs> for something else. It's a conversation. Uh, they're talking about uh, swimming, and and uh, it gets like swimming in the storm. She laughed at the notion, is this a trick to get the clothes off me, Jon Snow? And he says, do I need a trick for that now? He teased, which is pretty smooth, John. He says, or is that you can't swim a stroke? John was a strong swimmer himself, having learned the art as a boy in Winterfell's great mouth. You grip punched his arm. You know nothing, Jon Snow. I'm half a fish, I'll have you know. And so he does the math. We're going to bring fractions into this again. Nice little callback. He says, half fish, half goat, half horse. There's too many halves to you, Egret. So own to John for uh, a little bit of uh, rapport and some lighthearted flirting. I like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some mad, like it mad math skills. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, my own will go to George R. R. Martin. Uh, oh. Just for the the ending part of this chapter. Uh, bingo. You guys, I think I, <laughs> I, think I got bingo. <laughs> no, Kate hasn't dropped an F-bomb yet. Nice. Oh, we need that. Uh Thunder rumbled softly in the distance, but above him the clouds were breaking up. John searched the sky until he found the ice dragon, then turned the mare north for the wall and Castle Black. Ice dragon. That's interesting. It's just, just it's a, a constellation. constellation. A constellation, yeah. I know. Micah. I know. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's just a cool constellation I'm, name. It must be. Please don't uh, get me but excited. But also, also a, a honorable mention th- – uh, to Tyrion in this chapter. Mm, yeah. By yeah. The For way, saying oh, something nice. that was almost quotable by John. And I'll have you know, well, you guys know this because you read the chapter, but thank you. He refers to him as a friend. Yeah. Yeah. Who dreamed of dragons, a dwarf. But the fact that Jon Snow looks as Tyrion as a friend, I thought that was pretty cool. Pretty sweet. I thought that was an interesting story that he was about to tell Grit. And got interrupted. Like what? Yeah. What else was going to come out of his mouth? I wonder. Like he he clearly had something to say. But I read that passage a few times. Like what was he going to tell her? He only met Tyrion the one time, and Tyrion was like, "Hey, it's not so bad being a bastard. I'm a dwarf. That sucks too. Live with it." <laughs> and this dream, I don't know that we've ever heard about. Yeah, it. I don't remember him ever saying. Maybe he did tell. He mentioned it to John or something at the at the feast at Winterfell. But they did travel together for a little bit. You never know. That's true. That's true. Maybe there's a dream that we're just not forgetting, not remembering. Reader, readers, listeners, listeners slash readers, please write in and let us know about the dragon dream. Or your dragon dreams. <laughs> I, I'm going to give my own to our Stan Whitebeard mm-hmm. uh, for story time. Own own for story time. That was rather good. And I yeah. think that he, he knows so much, Daenerys. You need to be aware of that. I don't think he's who he's telling you to be. No, that's true. Yeah, but he um he handles it nicely. Like she's all nervous because the outcome of the battle hasn't been told to her yet or figured out yet. And she asks uh Barristan, sorry, Arstan, to tell her a story and so he does and she knows some of it, but he fills in the gaps and it's all about uh her brother and that one particular tourney, Lord Wentz tourney, when uh, mm-hmm. the tourney when, when that Stark when that Stark woman was 
when Elia from Dorne was clearly abandoned for the Stark girl by Rhaegar. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't think there's man. I don't think there's any mystery here anymore in these books as to the lineage of Jon Snow. I don't think that it was very cool, by the way, of Rhaegar to be like at this tournament with his wife yeah. and just yeah. and just drop her like a sack of potatoes when he yeah. saw Lyanna Stark. Super mm-hmm. not cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I do like that John was probably the product of it. In the same breath, my own for this chapter goes to Rhaegar because <laughs> uh, I love that he dropped his wife like a sack of potatoes. No, wow. I like I like very much that he that um, Arston clears up the fact that he was not a famous soldier. He liked playing his harp. He just he was like mm-hmm. he was a super chill, sensitive, like artsy dude whose reputation is now this this ferocious thing because of his encounter with Robert, probably. Um, and so what he he died as a warrior. And so everyone remembers him as this great warrior. But Arson knew him better. He was like, no, he actually really preferred to just like chill out and play music, this like lovely heart music. And Danny, it, it, it doesn't square at all with her her mental image of her brother. Which is yet again this whole thing about how when people die, oh, there's only certain stories that are told about them, and it's, mm-hmm. it may not reflect who they actually were in life. So I, I like that a lot. Rhaegar, the sensitive heart player. Gosh, there's so much Rhaegar right now. Yeah, I don't know. My own actually, it's going to go to uh, Drogon <laughs> uh, for besting his brothers uh, when Danny says Dracaris, and she's talking with uh, Grazdan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, he lights his little tokar afire. Grosdan oh. says, oh, I thought I was promised uh, safe conduct or something along those lines. I seem to remember that from the show. Same Maybe scene, I think. Up. Yeah, because he offered the gold then. Same scene. And he saw yeah. himself. Yep. So, yes, own to Drogon. Mm-hmm. Not bad. Drogon was mentioned uh, when, when Grosdan actually was introduced. It was talking about the man on the white camel. It said lean and hard. He had a white smile such as Kresnes had worn until Drogon burned off his face. <laughs> Yeah. That was, that this was guy nice had a smile before oh. it was burned off. A little bit of foreshadow. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like it'd be really, really fitting to give Dario Naharis the own for his inclusion into the new regime, but also just to beheading people to do it. That was pretty, yeah. That was pretty, as uh, George and both Daenerys put it, swaggery. He actually used the word. She liked his swagger. But <laughs> I'm going to give my own to maybe Arston Whitebeard or, or just in general the situation. Uh, Daenerys turns to them and uses her, her same soft speech sort of comically on them. She goes, to be sure, I am only a young girl and know little of war. What do you think, my lords? I think you are Rhaegar Targaryen's sister, Sir Jorah said with a rueful half smile. And then Arston says, I, and a queen as well. And I just thought that, that was sweet getting compared to her brother, who we know to be kind of a, a mythically uh, stoic person, and then also being called a queen. I just thought uh, some respect in the moment because she truly was uh, owning the situation and uh, made everything just a little bit better than it could have been. So good job to the regime and their plight in the East. It's going well mm-hmm. for now. All right. So those are our owns. We know we got some from listeners. Uh, let's go over to Twitter first. Um, right. We have our good friend. Simon Amundsen, right? <laughs> Amundsen. There we go. Amundudson. We're actually about to meet with our small council Amund directly after recording this, so son. we can ask Simon uh, specifically. So uh, Simon had this to say, own to George R. R. Martin for the strong feeling that John is what young Ned was like. I feel like they are very alike in how they think and act. 
and uh, own to Dario for being the most colorful, boasting, and audacious in how he looks, talks, and acts. He is the embodiment of flamboyance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he sent in a picture. I'm not sure if he drew it himself or he found it somewhere on the internet. Oh, no, he didn't draw it himself. Uh, it's actually signed once opened up. I'm looking at it on my phone. <laughs> but it's a, quite, the, quite the picture of uh, Dario. Pretty it looks like he has a Gryffindor scarf there, too. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this is pretty good, actually. Um, credit to uh, – I can't read that signature. I posted it on our, our Instagram this morning. People want to look at it. So uh, if you'd like to see it in more detail, you can head on over to uh, Instagram.com <laughs> slash Game of Owns. Well done. Um, and then uh, not chapter-related, but uh, Deneen Cole tweeted in to say um, – own to Game of Thrones for winning a sound engineering award at the NAMM NAM, NAM, yeah. 2014 Tech Awards. A buddy of mine is there with his drum company, and I'm going to ask him uh, what it was like to see Game of Thrones win an award. I'm glad that they won that. Cool. And I wish I was there. Ujwal also uh, tweeted in, agrees with Zach. My own for the John chapter goes to half goat, half fish, and half horse egret, who has never <laughs> seen a dragon. Oh, good. Mathematics. Now, I mentioned Mike's Facebook post earlier where he said, after spending the last two weeks with Lannisters and Starks, we spend this week with two Targa. Leave us your own yeah. for Dante. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> and Pamela Carrion writes, for John, Ygritte owned the wildlings' way, thus providing she was not a crow wife. She did. She slit the throat through the knife. She killed it. And for Daenerys, she says, the three bells in Danny's hair own as they proclaim her conqueror status. Love, goo. Um, yes, when she turned her head and it jingled, just like, I've yeah. been around, guys. Jen Wyman says, uh, for John, own goes to Egret for having a comeback to all of John's arguments, particularly this statement, quote, at least a thief has to be brave and clever and quick. A kneeler only has to kneel. End quote. Yeah, that was pretty badass. That's and true. then Jen's Daenerys own own goes to Danny. Quote, Woman, is that meant to insult me? I would return the slap if I took you for a man. Yeah. yeah. A little reversal there. Jared Kozal then says, John own to Summer for saving John and enabling his escape. John doesn't always see himself as a Stark, but despite being separated from ghosts, he's still under the protection of the pack. The wolves mm. defend their own. I love well, that. Yeah. That's cool. I, I love that. The the wolves consider him a brother. Uh, and then Daenerys own from Jared. Dario owns several bottles of Marge Simpson's <laughs> hair dye and enough golden apparel to blind Scrooge McDuck. Mm. Fortunately for viewers, they all got lost during his journey to the screen. Unfortunately for the definitively friend-zoned Jorah. Oh. His, oh, Kate's going to have a... Here comes the F-bomb. <laughs> His legal <laughs> swagger, or his lethal swagger, arrived intact. Danny seems quite charmed. She's charmed. She She's is charmed. charmed. Kim says, "Own goes to a grit for saying about Queen Alison, if she was so good, she should have had that wall torn down. <laughs> she she should have torn that wall down. Mm. Although potentially disastrous if torn down, the wall signifies to her unfairness. Own goes to younger Danny for turning Viserys's snarky comment back on him." She had denied it hotly, she remembered, going as far as to tell Viserys that it was his fault for not being born a girl. Well, a little bit of inclusion there. You know, you see, mm-hmm. it's it's always nice when our when our listeners pull the same ideas that we do. It's like, yeah. you know, we never know when we're reading if this is just like, oh, this is our take on the matter 
or maybe this is kind of strange and we're actually strange when and weird people but you know it's like more than more than not they get us and so thank yeah. you for doing this with us you guys get us or we just read all their owns before the show and just pick pick the best one. I don't do that. No, no, I know. Although that would be a nice way to just get good owns. That's true. No, we we all highlight um, in our e-readers different lines. It's true. We've talked about that on the show before. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. As soon as I see it, I highlight it and I go own. Oh. Uh, I put suspic- a- it's a different color than today. what you highlight other stuff with, right? Uh, no, mine's just yellow. Just no. standard mine's yellow. Mine's green. On the se- sepia background. Mine's purple. <laughs> I'm boring. (laughs) All right. So in addition to Twitter and Facebook, uh, we also got some owns through email. Uh, The first is from Kyle Cooper, who says, hey, Goo, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. Been listening since season three of the show. Mm. I finally decided to stop lurking and participate because I've been really enjoying rereading Storm of Swords along with you for it's my favorite book of the series, and it's even better when it's taken in along with some insight and analysis from you guys. So here goes my first owns first from a longtime listener. John, own goes to Summer for saving John and seriously messing up some thens. Yeah. Honorable mm-hmm. mention to the old man for having the balls to stay strong and brave in the face of imminent death. Mm-hmm. For Danny, own to Grey Worm for keeping his last unsullied name. Mm. Quote, it is a lucky name. The name this one was born to was accursed. That was the name he had when he was first taken for a slave. But Grey Worm is the name this one drew the day Daenerys Stormborn set him free. I love that line. Yeah, no. I do too. It makes uh, sense. Thanks for all the great work you guys do. I look forward to the new podcast each week. Makes the long train ride to work exponentially better, at least for that one day. Uh, Kate, keep on laughing. Oh, boy. Keep laughing, Kate. <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't stop if I wanted to. Of course, Email segment would not be complete without hearing from our friend Nick Hartley. Ooh, who does not so? Who does not so? He does not. Uh, his own for John goes to Grit for being, and I quote, wilding to the bone. <laughs> I simply love the passion in which the free folk live their lives. I fully understand why Mance has to lead them beyond the wall so they do not all become others, but I fear that once they were there, they'd end up having to become kneelers themselves. What a shame that would be. What a shame. And for Danny, his own his own also goes to Grey Worm. In a relative short amount of time, he has done the impossible, started wanting things for himself. Here we have a person who has been hammered into the ultimate soldier at the expense of his very identity. All of the Unsullied are the closest thing to living robots you'll ever see, yet slowly but surely he has desires that are his alone and not commands of his owner. Yeah, that was really interesting, this chapter about, um, there's that mention about how all of the soldiers, like, unanimous, unanimously selected Grey Worm as their leader. Um, because there's, like, a, not like a flaw, but there's, like, you know, we're meant to believe that they don't have individuality. But all of the other Unsullied knew Grey Worm specifically enough to know that he was the one that they wanted yep. for their leader. It's a good vote of confidence. And he also wrote in, we asked him last week about Bran. Uh, he says, as to Kate's question about Bran, I think first and foremost, the incident in the tower was an accident. Bran and Hodor fell into the perfect storm of Bran not knowing his powers and Hodor being a disabled being d- disabled mentally. Sure. So I don't hold Bran responsible for him working into Hodor. My answer for the larger moral question about warging into a human is more complicated. If someone was warging into a person for fun or some kind of personal gain like wealth or the like, then yes, it's immoral. 
In matters of life and death, I try not to judge people against the backdrop of normal morals. The two things I think of are the Donner Party and the soccer players from the movie Alive. I don't condone cannibalism, but I don't judge those. Maybe we should leave this part out. <laughs> so that we don't offend all the cannibals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Nick Harley's a cannibal, everybody. I've never tasted man flesh. <laughs> Do they, they call it long pig. Did you know that? I'll take that's what, that? That's what they refer to human flesh as. What? No, I wish I'd out? never known that. Thank you, Kate. <laughs> I think that in any case in the future, that brand may have to work into Hodor will be a matter of life and death, so I'm okay with it. Huh. Nick Hartley so. does not so. Nick Hartley does not. No, he does not. I feel like matters of life and death are personal gain because you're, you're, you're gaining that you're alive still and other people, as a consequence, are not. Well, you might protect the people that are around you and your loved ones as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, Your loved it's ones are somebody to, else's non-loved ones, though. Mm, so the ice and fire, life and death, good and evil, Eric, you're saying, it's all, there's a gray area. It has something to do with the overarching uh, plot line of the story. It's like a gray mm. wind sweeping down the plane. It's like a gray worm. Slithering and I got it. <laughs> I tried. Couldn't do it, could you? I couldn't do it. <laughs> Almost. Thank so you, close. everyone, for writing in. Um, yeah. It's been a fabulous first month of the show. We're we're immeasurably happy. We released a new chapter of our. I guess you could call it. It's not really secret, but it's kind of a secret show because only a hundred and something of you guys uh, listen to it over at our Patreon uh, place, patreoncom Q. And uh, can I just say that? It has been a, a joy and an honor uh, creating those for all of you that are interested. And we have a lot of fun also doing the chapter readings. I know that uh, we, we talk lots of it uh, on our own. But uh, if, you, if you haven't listened yet, uh, Eric Skull's introductions to what he does are, are some, some things of legend oh. that Micah has also noted in some of his own recordings. So I just, I just want to say, Eric... Nice work. I am motivated to make mine better because of you, my friend. Oh, thank you. You know, I've, I really just enjoy reading these. It's uh, a great tier that we've got over there at Patreon. All the tiers are great, and all of it is just another great opportunity for us to interact uh, with all of the listeners and fellow readers and fellow Game of Thrones fans. One other thing to uh, note on the Patreon side, at least for Kate and myself, yeah. is that we have passed a certain threshold and that means that we have to do a spoiler episode. Yeah. Which, thank God, because honestly, <laughs> I can't deal with this much longer. I'm excited. Yeah, so Kate and I will get together, uh, have a few beverages, yeah. and uh, talk some Game talk of Thrones spoilers. beyond. Spoilers! It's going to be so good! Right Just uh, <gasps> for the record, these, these are going to be for everybody. They're going to be released on the Correct. public Game of uh, Owns feed as a result of our success over at Patreon. So yeah. I'm thinking that, oh, guys, easily you could talk talk about all that crap that's come out <laughs> and, like, how it's way different than the books. Yeah, we I mean, just have to think think all of your fellow <laughs> Bannermen for making this uh, uh, for making this possibility happen. We're super happy and uh, excited where the show's headed, and there's lots of exciting things that we've already scheduled on the horizon of this year that we're excited to share details of when, when the months grow a little bit closer. Mm. These, these spoiler episodes are something that you guys have been asking for since we began the show, and so jumping into this fray is going to be super exciting. I think Kate and I have done one, right? Well, you guys had like a tiny segment and it was unprecedented, but this is going to be... Oh, yeah, it was about... um, You know, that thing that didn't happen. Yeah, the end of the season that never occurred. definitely. (laughs) Yeah, that... This will be cool. This will be fun. And we're really excited uh, to do it. We'll find a good way for all of you to uh, who are Sully to send in questions. Uh, 
and that we will then be able to answer mm-hmm. and have discussion about on these spoiler episodes. Uh, it's damn, I'm just happy now, yeah. man. I, I just yeah. it's it's hard. You know, we talk a lot about this. Obviously, this is a show that we don't want to spoil because we know that you know there are a lot of you out there who you know are are really just show watchers or you've only read up to where the show is and uh, you don't want to, uh, you don't want to get spoiled and we respect that and we don't want to spoil you. So, but damn, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to talk about this series. I don't even know what to say. So let's just end the show. Beginning of a new era, Micah. I'll have Mm -hmm. to pick, uh, I'll pick a proper uh, classical piece to, to open up to warn people that there are spoilers. We can open it with the reins of Castle. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, probably. If you guys feel like writing in to uh, one of our places, I would suggest uh, email and putting something in the subject line that denotes that it's uh, dangerously spoilery. And we'll make sure that that Mike and Kate are the only ones that read that. Yeah, just put spoiler episode in the title. This way, Eric and Zach know not to uh, not to read it, not to open it. Yeah. Just start thinking amongst yourselves because goo is about to get sullied. Ooh. It is, friends. Yeah.